Hey guys, and welcome to another another <laughs> uh, show of the Deaf Think podcast with you, your hosts, Nicola and Sean. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that, let's say, in my opinion, a lot of people don't want to talk about. It's the topic of the imposter syndrome. So how do you like today's topic, Sean? Oh, I don't know why anybody would avoid talking about it. I love talking about it and I love pointing it out in others on a regular basis. <laughs> it just doesn't occur to me that it afflicts me just as badly, if not worse. Yeah, it's actually funny because, you know, I mean, I would say that both of us like output quite a lot, right? I mean, of course, we're not, you know, as they say, 100x developers or anything. But I'd like to think of myself that I actually do meaningful work and my output is quite a lot, I would like to think. But there's this thing that's by actually defining the imposter syndrome is that I kind of like feel that I'm still not living up to the expectations. Whose expectations? Well, honestly, mine. And that's kind of like the definition of imposter syndrome, meaning that you're always kind of like lagging behind, although maybe your even your peers are saying, hey, dude, you're awesome, right? Yeah, I actually, I, my understanding of it is a little different. It is actually not your expectations. It is other people's perception. So if people say, oh, yeah, you're a senior developer, you must know what you're doing. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm really like not that good. And I got lucky or, you know, the people who hired and promoted me weren't programmers and they don't know how bad I actually am. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm pretending. And that's what I think, that's what I take imposter syndrome to be. Maybe um, thinking that you're not living up to your own expectations. Yeah, that's a whole, that may be related. It may be part of it. But my main thing is other people's image of you and you thinking that that's not true. Okay, okay, I get it. So basically, uh, how do we fight this? How do we, I mean, you know, how do we deal with it? Well, see that automatically, let me, I want to um, go back to something you said before about how you like to think that your output is, you know, pretty, uh, the quantity is better than like a one X developer or somewhere near your standards. And that's interesting because I don't care at all about the quantity of my output. I care about the quality of my output. And the way I see it is if you and I do the same task and, or maybe that's not a good example. If a junior developer and I do the same task, even if it takes us the same amount of time, I would like to think that mine would be less likely to have bugs. If it did have bugs, it would be easier to understand and fix and maintain. And that the junior person's attempt, even if it worked, would be harder to read or would show some obvious signs of not getting some underlying principles or even little things like not knowing the best way to use the tools and language that they were using. So, I mean, it could be both. Maybe it's different for different people. I mean, the biggest thing for me with imposter syndrome is there's a, a really uh, funny picture I saw. It's what I know versus what I think other people know. And it shows like my circle is really small and everyone else's circle is huge. And then it says the reality and it shows, you know, my circle and everyone else's circle. And we all have the same size circle. The difference is they all, they don't overlap completely. So if, if you could, if you could somehow take everything I know and put it in a box and take everything, you know, and put it in a box, we'd have the same size box, but 90% of the stuff in my box, you don't know. 
and 90% of the stuff in your box, I don't know. We have that 10% overlap. So if I talk to you 10 times and I tell you about 10, 15, 20 different things that I'm interested in or know about, and you know none of them, you're going to walk away thinking, oh my God, I'm not even smart enough to talk to this guy. He knows like everything. But no, I just know the same as you. I just don't know the same list of things as you. And I really think that's the biggest, one of the biggest pieces of imposter syndrome. So, uh, so I want to go back to your, your question about fighting it, but since I just said a lot of stuff, do you want to jump in with anything? Yeah, sure. So one thing uh, to, let's say, correct myself by output, I actually meant, so the good proper output. So everything. So for example, you said junior developer, he would probably never add unit tests and anything like that. You know, when I set my, like when I, uh, uh, use me as an example, I meant all of that. So let's say, you know, output, if you compare the senior devs, then I would say uh, more output on that kind of level. But anyways, uh, one thing that actually, so kind of like in the defense of this imposter syndrome, I would kind of think that by thinking the whole time that you're, you know, kind of like not good enough or that you're basically faking it, it's actually kind of good because that somehow keeps you going. You never rest. And let's be honest, if you kind of like uh, live on your laurels or what's the exact expression, uh, you will in software development field uh, just be become obsolete sooner or later. That's what I think. Yeah, it's funny because literally the only thing I had left to say on my notes from what you said in the beginning, how do we fight it, is... I'd argue that it's it's a good thing and we shouldn't be fighting it because if you, as you say, you know, rest on your laurels, you don't improve, but also you just become, you, and you become complacent. But when you're not trying, you're not striving, you're just phoning it in. And, you know, if you want to do that, you know, you should be working in a factory because there you go through the motions, then you can go home and play your video games or write your code or play soccer or whatever it is you do. But to be a developer, it's a very it's a special kind of field and i forget if we talked about this before but i notice a huge overlap um there's a lot of similarities among these things programming martial arts music and magic and by magic i mean sleight of hand card tricks coin tricks this kind of stuff and they're all the same and i find that if you find someone who's into one of those they are probably into two or three of the other ones. And the way that they're similar is that in each of those, you will never be done. You can never be the best. You will never know everything. And the more you know, the more you realize there is to know that you'll never know. And so it just gets deeper and deeper the more effort you put into it. So it's a journey. It's a mentality. It's something that you have to be passionate about to do well there are plenty of developers that aren't passionate they go to school they take a java class they apply for a job as an entry-level developer and if they get it they use whatever tools set whatever stack whatever programming languages that employer uses never learn anything new do their job from nine to five and go home that's not the kind of people that i consider to be a true developer just like if someone you know learned three magic tricks and did them for the rest of their life or someone took one year of a martial arts class and then said that they were, you know, a self-defense expert. You know, it's, I just see all of them having this huge, or, you know, musical instrument. If you play an instrument for 
a year you take three lessons and then you decide to you know put yourself on stage and charge money for it it's people are going to be able to tell the difference and you may be able to make a living but i just don't see it as something that you know is good for you or the industry awesome i agree and actually through um through kind of like materials that i read about they use the term craftsman so you should improve daily in your field and that kind of like makes you a craftsman although like the actual term may vary uh, from the source to source uh, however what i would like to say here is okay so we're in it you know we're in it for the long term we really want to improve and everything but how do we do that and i came across a term called deliberate practice meaning how do you for example golf how do you improve your swing well so that you literally <clears throat> nail down this one particular swing not one not two times let's say thousand times and so that it bas basically becomes uh, muscle memory so okay how do we okay cool right <clears throat> so that's kind of let's say something that some kind of a sports thing but how do we do that how do we devs do that well here's the thing there's a thing called uh katas uh i may be butchering this term but software katas where also goes as you said very funny thing uh a parallel to the martial arts right where you basically complete these steps of um steps <laughs> in lack of better words over and over again and literally you can see when the master does it and when the student does it that only started you know and learned this kata you will see such an immediate difference that it's unbelievable so software devs what do we do well you have a set of certain problems that uh, let's say you can solve in let's say a half an hour but what it helps is that you tend to solve these kind of problems on their let's say semi-regular basis because you know so you let's say for example you learned the factory pattern but then you haven't used it in let's say two years right because for whatever reason and it would be good that you actually you know every let's say you know few months you revisit and like for example you come to work in the morning and first thing that you do oh let me let me write a test uh, driven development kind of kata for you know whatever uh of course this takes time and preparation but i would believe so i didn't do the research on that but i think i saw somewhere um that there are katas like that that you can already you know go in and try and do them so as a summary of this deliberate practice is the term if you want to you know explore more and in terms of software programming or software engineering kind of like field uh, try to do the so-called katas yeah so i have also heard the term deliberate practice and an important thing that i i'm sure you know and meant but you didn't uh, specifically say is pra uh, deliberate practice is not simply repetition repetition oh, well, yes yeah uh it's not repetition isn't good enough what you have to do is you have to observe what you're doing and correct ex course observe the outcome and modify your you know your actions and i read a really good book that i have never mentioned to you before it's called first learn to practice by a guy named tom heaney who was a is a lifelong musician and as well as he um 
tunes pianos for like orchestras for like major stage productions and things like that. And he talks about a lot of things. He gave one example of archery that in the Olympics, for example, if you were to watch an American archer take a shot and then miss, you can clearly see that they're frustrated or disappointed or upset about it. Whereas if you watch people from other countries, us particularly Asian countries, and I forget exactly which one, whether he said it was like South Korea or something, that they do what they do, they look at it, they take that knowledge in without judgment, and then they go again, you know? And if you do that, the frustration doesn't help you, it doesn't teach you, it only makes it uh, worse. So I definitely recommend the book. It's First Learn to Practice by Tom Heaney. I bought it on Kindle. Um, when you then, mentioned... Yes. Sorry. When you no. mentioned uh, the archers, I remembered one post by James Clear. Uh, we haven't mentioned him before. I don't know if I mentioned him to you before. I really like his writing. Uh, the guy literally takes, let's say, a complex topic and he kind of like explains it in a very simple way, you know. But it's still, the guy does a lot of research. He links to a lot of additional research. I'm going to share that link with you. Uh, I can't remember the exact name of the post, but it was definitely something with these archers. And I believe that that term is for martial arts, the zanshin, uh, kind of like the focus to whatever you're doing. Uh, but yeah, it ties into this deliberate practice, which you're right. I did not mention the very, very important part of not just, you know, you don't, you're not supposed to just come to practice as in, you know, whatever practice, soccer practice, basketball practice, but actually see yourself how you do. That's actually, that's actually why, um, teams when they lose or when they win, they rewatch the, uh, whole like video and the trainer or the coach then tells and points out the weaknesses or why they lost or why they won and how can they improve? Yeah. No, that's definitely, you know, a great technique. And I think the hardest part of that is not judging yourself because you failed. Because, of course, you're not going to make a three-point shot every time you make it. Of course, you're not going to deploy something in production with zero bugs every time. And it's so easy to take it personally and feel like, well, clearly, this is evidence of me not being good enough or being a failure. It's not. It's just evidence of you not being a, a robot. Oh, yeah. So with this... Uh... <clears throat> I very much bought into the this thing called this is from John Sonmez. Uh, he calls it trust the process where he says so this is how he explained it to his uh, daughter. He said, uh, OK, so you want to draw a butterfly, right? Here's what trust the process means. If you try to draw a butterfly, you'll probably do a very bad job for the first time, second time, third time. But I promise you this. If you go and you dedicate your mind to it, that you, you're going to do it for 100 times, somewhere along the process, you're going to get so good and you're going to uh, draw it so nice that you won't even realize that you actually do it. I mean, you will realize it, but somewhere along the lines of, you know, you doing it for 77th time, you will actually do a good job. So, yeah. you know, whatever is the topic and that that's how I kind of like approach everything, uh, every, let's say, task. Uh, if it's something that I never did, I'm not going to say, hey, I never did that. That's actually a very, very big red flag for, you know, if any software dev tells tells you that I would question his motives of being actually in this um, 
software development kind of thing, you know? Uh, so I yeah. say, okay, I never did it, but here's the thing. I am willing to spend nights on this, weekends, like a lot of days until I get it. And here's the thing. There is no way that I'm not going to get it. I just may need more time or less time if I'm uh, supposed to be comparing myself to someone. Although I don't care. I know if I put enough work in it, I'm going to do it. And that's a very, in my opinion, very good mentality to have. Yeah. And you can't like, there's so much pressure. It's like, oh, I'm a senior dev and you know, my boss asked me to do this thing, which is something I don't know anything about, but it's programming related. So, you know, I should be able to figure this out and, you know, get it done by the end of the day. When in reality, it might take weeks or months to learn enough about, because what we do is so deep, right? It's a spider web. As soon as you go to learn a topic and that's the center of that new web for you, you realize you need to understand two or three supporting topics. And for each one of those two or three supporting topics, you might need to know two or three supporting topics. So it may just be that it would take months or maybe the best solution isn't to waste your time on it. Maybe you should hire a contractor. Maybe you should ask someone else to do it who's already done it or, you know, whatever, because you can't be expected to, you know, don't, don't feel like, oh, here, here's the proof I'm an imposter. They're going to find out now that I'm overpaid or should be fired because I don't know how to do this one thing because I've experienced, I mean, I've experienced that in within the last year here. Um, and this kind of goes back to something we talked about. I won't repeat the whole thing because we did it in a previous podcast, but the whole thing about never telling a child that when they're successful, that it's because they're clever. You say it's because they worked hard, right? Because if you tell them that they're, they're smart or clever or, Hey, you're, you're good at drawing. So then if they try to draw a horse now and they can't draw a horse, but they can draw a butterfly, they think, oh, yeah, I'm not really a good artist. No, you know, you tell them, wow, that's a great butterfly. You must have practiced. You must have, you must have, you know, worked really hard on that. So then when they can't draw a horse, instead of saying, I suck at drawing horses, they say, I guess I need to practice my horses more. And yep. one of the things that um, is so important that people don't either don't know or, you know, it it seems counterintuitive is that if you can practice you said i'll practice evenings i'll pra practice weekends i'll practice for a long time right but what's implied in that is you're not going to say i'm going to go home this weekend put on headphones and blinders and look at this for 48 hours straight and not sleep and come in on monday an expert because you can't do that you need time you need rest you need sleep you need a lot of things in between segments of learning so if you spend five minutes a day on something for a month that's way better than trying to do three hours a week like on the week True. you just won't True. absorb it especially for something with that requires dexterity like playing an instrument or doing sleight of hand in magic that's not some you you can't practice for five hours straight i mean you can but what you'll do is it will become not deliberate practice but repetition and you will train muscle memory and you will train incorrect muscle memory so not only will you not be able to do it correctly but you'll have difficulty teaching yourself the to not do it in the bad way that you've developed so you'll almost need physical therapy and you know doing the the motions and uh, one other thing that i really like the idea of if you talk about like you know the evolution of humans how we got to where we are from you know say our you know the ancestors we share with apes if you had every single skeleton or every single being from then till now you would never be able to point to one particular one and say, hey, see right here? This one right before here was the last ape, and this one right after it was the first human. 
because it doesn't work that way. You, you'll never have, like, say, a mother and say, oh, yeah, this mother was an ape, but then she gave birth to the first human. There is no transitional fossil where this one skeleton is the missing link between X and Y because it's just a smooth transition. And your, your butterfly example made me think of this. If you say, hey, go draw a butterfly every day for 100 days, then if the 100th butterfly is beautiful, you will not be able to go back and say, hey, look, you know, butterflies 1 through 67 sucked, but 68 was really good. You know, it's each one is going to be a little bit better, but there's no line you'll be able to draw there where they somehow magically, you know, the last one sucked and this one was amazing. That that actually reminded me of something. A friend of mine that's very much into bodybuilding and everything, he told me this. If you if you take the uh, Mistress of Olympia winners and if you take them, let's say, five years apart. So let's say Mark A is one guy, right? And then five years later is another guy. They will, they will look, okay, so maybe I mixed my, you know, five years, two years, three years, whatever. But the point is, if you take one guy and the second guy after him, they will look more or less the same. But if you take the first guy and then the third guy, they will look very much different. Yeah, there's, I mean, this isn't a weightlifting podcast. Neither one of us are bodybuilders, but <laughs> uh, there is a lot of stuff. I happen to be a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, I've watched a few videos about him and people have talked about, you know, what would he look like if he, would he be able to even compete today with today's standards where it's nothing but size, where he was about perfect, uh, you know, uh, symmetry and perfect ratios of each muscle to each other muscle. And even a computer generated graphic of what he would look like if he trained and used the chemicals that they use today. So yeah, that's, uh, just ridiculous and yeah, completely unrelated, but I, th I think that the the way it is today is not only extremely unhealthy, but, you know, crazy, unattractive, and just dangerous. Yep, I would have to agree here. Uh, Frank Zane, that was the golden era. What what year? Was that like the 70s? Uh, I honestly don't know the dates. Hmm. You know, it's funny because you said Mark 1, and I've heard the term, so I'll, I'll show my uh, imposter syndrome. I've always heard, you know, Mark 1, Mark 2, like that tells you which version it is, which edition, which release or whatever. And I've never in my life understood where that came from, uh, why it's used. I just kind of hear it and I say, okay. And so I just decided to look it up and I found it on Wikipedia while you were talking. So I don't yet see the uh, origin of it, but it seems to be very old. So, yeah, I mean, I think I first heard about it in the context of like a vehicle like a Mark II or Mark III, some kind of uh, racing car. And I thought it had to do with race cars. And then I heard it, you know, in Iron Man about the versions of his suit. And it's like, oh, yeah, the Mark 14, you know, and it's, okay, the 14th version of the Iron Man suit. And apparently it's just a general term that's used for everything. So uh, maybe some people listening to this knew that. And that's just a clear example of how a very common day-to-day -day thing that everyone knows and everyone uses, you know, Someone who you would think knew what they were doing would be able to tell you the whole history of it. Nope. Yeah, cool. Honestly, like I didn't even know it. As you know, I tend to pick up phrases that I hear are used and then I just try to fit and use them since, of course, English is not my first language. But yeah, yeah I'm glad to have found that 
this fit in perfectly. Yeah, it's, it fits perfectly. And you have every excuse because, you know, it's a colloquialism in English and you can't be expected to know the origin of, you know, even common. There are plenty of phrases that we say day to day that, you know, like if I say, hey, you know, if you want to have lunch, let me know. Like, let me know. It means like literally allow me to know or either. And that's probably not even the worst example that people use every single day that just make no sense in English. And we just say it like it's normal. I mean, I know that uh, Croatia, Croatian has other crazy. I mean, I know German does for sure. I assume Croatian has some really crazy ones. Like in, yeah, in true. British, they say Bob's your uncle, you know, <laughs> or is that Australian? I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, we've we've gone off the topic. Uh, <laughs> off the rails. <laughs> Again, yeah, right. So basically to sum up, honestly, if you ask me, imposter syndrome, if you have it, if you know that you have it, I would just say go with the flow. Just, just, just ride the wave because honestly, in my case, it's just going to keep you keeping on. <laughs> yeah, it holds you back. You know, I, when I talk to junior developers, when I mentor people and they, they are exhibiting it, I explain it to them. Most of the time, they'd never heard of the topic. And I try to tell them that it's, it's artificial, it's fake. And just because you're going to limit yourself, you're going to say, okay, I'm only this good. I'm only going to uh, hope to one day reach this plateau that's way below you because you've been doing this for, you know, you're obviously really smart or whatever. And no, it's just, I've been doing it longer is the main thing. I've been doing it longer and I'm curious. That's it. Those are the two things. Awesome. With this, uh, I would just like to announce another topic that we're going to do, which ties into the, so recently I read a book, actually, I'm still reading the book called So Good They Can't Ignore You, where uh, Carl Newport goes to argue that, you know, as people say, hey, you know what, you should first find your passion, what you're passionate about, and then find a job in that, that deals around that. Whereas he said that's bullshit and that you should actually first start working somewhere and work at it good and try to get very good at it. And as he says, so good that they can't ignore you. And what you will very much, so in very, a lot of cases you will find out that, wow, that's actually your calling. So basically number of years doing something, but in a way that we're trying to do it, meaning progressing and not just, you know, clocking in the hours, you will find that that was actually your, you know, kind of like calling or what you were quote unquote put here on earth to do. And yeah. the second thought, yeah, if, Sean, if you want to add something here. I just wanted to throw in that that is deliberate practice, like you said. And the other thing is that if you wait to be inspired or you wait to have the eureka moment, you will probably never, it'll never have it. If you have something you want to do, do it every day at the same time or, you know, every three times a week when you have time after your busy schedule of doing a job you hate, coming home and doing programming or whatever your passion is at night, playing an instrument and if you show up and you sit down, try to keep yourself from getting frustrated and just work on it a little bit over time, you will get everything that you're looking for and hoping for. But don't go to the music store, buy a guitar, look at it and expect to become over consumed with an overriding passion that I must practice this day and night until my fingers bleed. Because that's not going to come until after you sit down day at night and play until your fingers bleed. Indeed. Indeed. Because, oh yeah, this whole deliberate practice thing... Here's the, here's the thing. If it would be easy, everybody would do it, but it's not. And that's why 
they say it's lonely in the top at the top see I, I would argue that it is easy it's very easy it's just that i think i don't know if it's a cultural thing or what people like we're not taught in school important things we're not taught how to stay out of debt manage money save for retirement how to you know find people that are not toxic for your life how to find someone you know a good mate how to you know when to be generous and when to be cautious so you don't get scammed and they don't teach you how to learn they teach you what to learn and you could argue i mean i've heard it um, i'm american obviously i live in the u.s i was born here lived here my whole life and there seems to be a kind of stereotype that americans are raised to be employees our school system and our government is designed so that we can have a steady stream of employees to industry and our own best interests and our own entrepreneurship is not encouraged or even considered and you have to find a mentor or you have to get lucky and you know get inspired by somebody at some point in your life to realize that so the idea of deliberate practice if i said you know here 10 minutes a day here's your instrument here's your deck of cards here's you know your martial arts class you're going to go to an hour a day three days a week you do that for five years you're going to turn around and you will be unbelievably better than you could have imagined on day one anybody it's not hard you just got to put in the time uh, so, so okay yeah so then i have to say this uh it's a, um, a word play so it's uh easy but not simple or would you say it's simple but not easy how would you say it okay um if you want to play the word game like that i would say it's simple but not easy because okay it's like weight loss is simple eat fewer calories than you consume exactly but it's not easy which we all know <laughs> right so yes i was conflating simple and easy there so yes it is simple but not easy but it's not that hard and it's the same as anything else if you develop it as a habit then it becomes automatic and then it's free then it is simple and easy it's going to be simple and, the, and hard and it's going to become simple and easy and the best tip to actually start the habit start very slow and okay so like pro i promise what i mean by this start very slow uh you you at for, at first you have to get these let's say small successes which will compound to more successes and you just doing the work right yeah uh, that's gonna have to be a whole nother podcast about exactly that. exactly <laughs> although start with the fundamentals like, yeah to just announce another one that we're gonna do so basically uh I concluded that I read, I like to read, I love to read. I read quite a lot, I would say, but I read very slow, like slow as very, very slow. And what me and Sean are gonna do is we're both gonna take the same book. However, I'm gonna take the Croatian edition. He's gonna take the English edition and we're gonna go through it and we're gonna record our, let's say weekly reports and then make them into a one podcast in the end to see how our speed has or hasn't improved that's right yep okay so again we dragged this one a bit <laughs> too long but i hope it was useful and till next guy till next time see you guys bye 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 thank you for listening to the DevThink podcast to reach us for feedback show suggestions or any other comments email us at info at devthink that's d-e-v-t-h dot i-n-k